If you're listening to this podcast, you're likely not listening to it on Spotify. And tonight, I'll explain why. Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting tonight's investigation. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com forward slash zev. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash zev. Start living a better life today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition. I always say they're very special because they are very special, but this one is actually very special. Hi to Kerry Kukrell. Um, you're very interesting because you've got a whole interesting story about being in Silicon Valley that you're going to talk to us a little bit about tonight. But mostly we're going to talk tonight about Spotify and about Joe Rogan and about whether he really is the end of civilization as we know it, or is he just, um, you know, just a guy who speaks about crazy things on the air. And really, it's just all about Spotify, not about uh, Joe Rogan at all. And then really, who pays for all of this? Because that's also kind of interesting. When you look at all the money and who supports uh, Spotify, it sort of looks a little murky. It doesn't look as clean and Scandinavian as it appears to be at first glance. So how are you tonight, Carrie? Where are you, by the way? I'm well. I'm actually here in the Midwest, outside of Chicago. Okay, and nice. um, I've been here since the beginning of the pandemic. Yep. Oh, wow. Just because, because of the pandemic, you just decided to camp out there? Yeah. Tell people a little bit about your story about... Uh, about you know your experience, if you can. I know it's a longer story, but just a brief idea of what you would do up to at Silicon Valley. Um, I tend to not talk about it in great detail, but I am free to do so. I have no restriction on doing that. And um, I had an issue. I, I tend to speak about it just to be very transparent and clear, so people understand my background and my you know motivation. So I really knew nothing about Silicon Valley whatsoever. And I had an issue at Draper Fisher Jurvetson, which is a was a venture capital firm in Silicon Valley that invests in many things, including SpaceX and Tesla. And I had a, a misconduct issue there, and uh, it impacted the firm and it impacted me as well. And so I have some insight into that, but more generally, it has made me very aware of connections in Silicon Valley and just behavior sets and patterns. Right. Because for all of us looking at, you know, how it appears to the rest of the world is that these young guys somehow come up with these brilliant ideas and they show up at Silicon Valley and become instant successes somehow, uh, you know, suddenly earning billions and billions of dollars. And it's just sort of like a, it's a great American dream come true. It's sort of a, can do it or you can't. It's either lucky or you're not lucky to get there. Um, but that's not really how it works, right? It's a lot about connections and money and networking and who you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was not looking for funds in Silicon Valley. I was not looking to build my business there. So my situation, you know, is a little, it's a little unusual. I actually came out of the Los Angeles area and I was funded through a company in Pasadena, a very small amount. So my experience in business or in entrepreneurship was not necessarily starting out in Silicon Valley, but you can certainly see, you know, from other people, you can see patterns and, you know, unicorns popping up all over Silicon Valley. And, you know, I joke over periods of time of like, how are companies valued and how are these things sprouting up so quickly into multi-billion dollar valuations? I think that's a, a general mystery. <laughs> and the other thing that we know, we 
all looked at Silicon Valley as an opportunity for young entrepreneurs to sort of build small companies. And it was going to be, you know, this real gold rush. When in reality, it became another huge, you know, monopoly enterprise. Everything that comes out of Silicon Valley is, is just one giant big corporation that controls everything else. It's not really the dream that we were sold at the start of it all. No, I think that's probably accurate to say. And there's certainly a lot of interconnection between things. Like when one thing does well, you know, the connected pieces seem to rise up with it. Mm-hmm. You know, we see that with 23andMe and Box and some other companies that they have different functions. 23andMe is for DNA, Box is for data storage, mm-hmm. yet they, you know, ascend kind of together. Right. So mm-hmm. both of those kind of myths, the fact that it's sort of a, a real place where anyone can make it big, that's one myth, I think. And the other myth is that it, it's a place where small companies can exist. Those are really not very true, in my opinion, in my experience, at least, and, and watching it, and you seem to concur there, that they're much bigger, more complicated businesses than we realize, and they tend to be involved, a lot of different players, a lot of influences, and that makes all of it a lot more complicated. And we've seen it with what Facebook has done in the elections and in democracy. We've seen what uh-huh. Amazon has done to the economy. I mean, things are just so much more complicated than we would have hoped, you know, a setup like that would have allowed. Yeah. I mean, I'm not anti-tech in general. I'm an engineer by training and by experience, and I have a great appreciation for technology. So I think it's amazing. And there are a lot of benefits to society for technology gone well or done good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, we have certainly seen, as you said, especially over the last election cycles, technology gone wrong. Mm. And it's certainly coming out of Silicon Valley. And, you know, it's not even an opinion at this point to say that it's, you know, there is foreign influence and foreign money in yeah. Silicon Valley. There just is. I mean, that's not something you can argue against. In fact, it's kind of stunning when you start looking at it, how much foreign money there is there. I always thought of everything that came out of Silicon Valley as being sort of quintessentially American, but it is quintessentially American in some ways. But on the other hand, it seems to be backed by a lot of funds that are not just foreign money, they're foreign state funds. Because some yes. of these, you know, it's not just like Russia has investment firms that are investing in some of these Silicon Valley companies. It's Russia has the state investing in Facebook via Yuri Milner or whomever. But it's, a, yes. you know, there's a direct involvement with the leaders of foreign governments opposed to America's national interests or with different national interests that are influencing the boards and the decisions of these companies because they're directly investing in them. And that's very unusual. That's never happened before. Yes. And another example, that's a great one, but there's another one that also, you know, is one of the reasons that I became a little bit interested in Masha Drakova, who was what they called, you know, she was Putin's kiss. Mm. She was working, it appears, with Frank Greer and Draper Fisher Jurvetson in that time frame, mm. you know, prior to the election. And Masha is pretty much, you know, if you trace her support, it's through Sergei Belisov and Kuzmin, who is basically Russian Eastern European casino money. Right. So it's just not even one layer deep. Yeah. I mean, Yuri Milner is another example you just made, I mentioned, but there's a, you know, there's a lot of others. In fact, Yuri Milner, we're discovering, was also very directly tied to the intelligence agencies in Russia. I mean, it's not even, there isn't a huge gap there at all. Now, yes. Sasha, um, tell me the woman's name you're just talking about. I've, I've spoken to her on the phone before. Yeah. Name? Um, her name is Marta Djokova. Uh-huh. And she was, you know, there's a documentary out called Putin's Kiss. She was mm-hmm. the head of his youth movement. And then suddenly she made her way into Silicon Valley. And I've said this before on a different podcast, but it's worth repeating because it actually relates to Spotify and Joe Rogan directly. Mm -hmm. But she came over from St. Petersburg in Moscow. I forget which city she's from, but she's from Russia. Mm -hmm. And she got a a visa through Silicon Valley, Esther Dyson. And she's been working with Silicon Valley, but 
usually, and she's been billed as the American dream. Like she came over, she got rescued by Esther who, you know, claims Masha had a misspent youth, but usually when you come over then to a new situation, you get a new money source Mm, and hers has stayed consistent. And it is also associated to the Russian state, including their quantum computing. Mm, Interesting. Quantum computing. So, you know, I uh, spoke to her on the phone because someone suggested I reached out to her. And we had an interesting conversation. She desperately begged me not to cover her story. Like she was just like, she'll do anything possible if I just didn't you know, report on her. But I was contacting her around Jeffrey Epstein. Is that the yes. same person here, right? So she yes, was Jeffrey person. Epstein's advisor, I guess, for a little bit, or assistant, I can quite tell, um, yeah, regarding true. Silicon Valley material. And most people don't realize that there's a lot about Epstein and the girls and the women, obviously, but there's a lot about Epstein that isn't known. And that's a, some of that is the money laundering and other things that he's done. But a big piece of it is him being in Silicon Valley and being connected to all these really powerful uh, Silicon Valley bigwigs. I mean, they're, they're very top, you know, you, you can name any of them. Steve Jobs. Was it Steve Jobs, actually? I can't remember if it was Steve Jobs. Was, was I'm not sure about, oh, actually, it's such a, it's such a network. Um, it may not have been him directly, but Laureen Powell Jobs was. Right, right. Was that's right. Maxwell, so, yeah. Right. So you've got a bunch of the, you know, there's an interesting intersection there between foreign money, foreign intelligence, and then this technology world that we're talking about. And that's, keep all that in mind as we start talking about Spotify, because Spotify is everyone's favorite music service. I love Spotify. I use it all the time. It knows my tasty music better than anybody else because it just reads my algorithm. It reads my tastes very well. And it gives you a discovery thing every two days or one day, whatever it is. And you know, you've got your own favorite playlist that they've curated for you of all the latest music. It's an incredible thing. We all love Spotify because of that. On the other hand, it's fine if it's doing it for music because it's, it's great. We love music. It's a little different when it starts doing it in politics, you know, not just your taste in, uh, in the rhythm of the music or the tone of the music or the voice of the singer. It's assessing your point of view on mm-hmm. vaccines, on, um, I don't know what to name it, name the topic, yeah. masks, uh, anything you want. And yeah. so you've got an algorithm being created specifically around your political interests. And then it's giving you content that is specifically geared to your interests. So it's kind of an amplification machine in the same way that sort of Facebook did this to journalism in some occupation, because now we were following clicks and following likes and those things. And in this yeah. case, we've even gone a step further where in podcasts, it's matching our interests and our political leans to these podcasts. But that could be kind of dangerous because then you can make people quite extreme in that way. Yes, that's dangerous. And I kind of am laughing when I'm listening to the description because, you know, in my former self, I would advocate for intersectionality and multidimensional thinking and art and science collaboration. And Mm. then I learned that art and science media is basically funded by the Maxwells and Epstein. So I no longer talk about that. (laughs) But but the funny thing, you know, your commentary about this is like, you know, these are multiple fields, multiple realms that are sort of being analyzed together and in a way manipulated together. Mm -hmm. And not to change the subject from Spotify, but another example of intersectionality that way that is quite dangerous to me seems like a sexual blackmail operation. And that would be seeking arrangement. Mm. Um, Seeking arrangement is a global operation from an MIT alumni Mm. that is basically a sugar daddy site, you know, in multiple languages worldwide offices in Nevada and all these different places, San Francisco. And oddly enough, they do political polls. Hmm. They do. 
they match people on politics or they just throw the polls on there? Are they matched? Well, you could, you could say they match people or yeah. are they targeting people? You know? Right. That's really, oh, you mean that they could be targeting, uh, oh, that's really interesting. They could be targeting yes. actual uh, assets. That's really and both interesting. Sides. And both yes. sides. That's really interesting. I didn't think about that. Yes. So you've got a, Oh, it's a different world we're living in now, and it's a global world. And you've got, you know, it used to be that you couldn't own newspapers in America if you weren't American, and you couldn't own more than two newspapers in a city, if or whatever the rule was, or radio stations. Now you've got entities like Spotify, which are providing content to the entire world, and they're owned by any number of different players around the world. And so the idea that Americans actually have control over the media is not true. We don't have that control coming in here. There's a lot of state control in other countries because they've built that into their systems. But in America, there are no national controls about what we can see. So if Russia wants to launch RT and beam it directly into the United States, it can. If it wants to create uh, WikiLeaks, it can do that. And so you've got no measures of control with the only country in the world that seems to have no measure of control over what comes in. Yeah. And there's a lot of discussion about decentralization, which Mm -hmm. on its face sounds great. You know, we're talking about decentralizing power and, you know, thinking about some entities becoming too powerful, including corporations. And there's an appeal of the idea of decentralization. But at the end of the day, when, you know, at least in my experience, when tracing a lot of this organizations that are advocating for decentralization, whether they're cryptocurrencies or DAO type things, you know, ends up going back to strange places like the Russian Israeli mafia. Mm. So, I mean, what's that? (laughs) You know, uh, we've called the show The $100 Million Misinformation Man, and that's because we're going to talk about Joe Rogan in a second. I know we haven't mentioned him that much. I want to play you, before we go any further, the tape that um, was produced by our friends at uh, The Recount, and I am thankful to them for letting me lift this without asking for permission. Um, This is Joe Rogan talking in the apology, but also Joe Rogan from his own podcast as an example of what he does on air. And I think it's very instructive. So let's take a look at what happens here. And accused of spreading dangerous misinformation. If you're like 21 years old and you say to me, should I get vaccinated? I, I go, no. I do not know if they're right. I don't know because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. Especially now when, when yeah. people are talking about actual microchips being injected into your arm to see if you have COVID-19. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Ivermectin alone, if properly utilized, is capable of driving this pathogen to extinction. But I try to correct them. So if you're in a high-risk area, you take it and it's it'll protect you. Again, I'm not trying to promote misinformation. And they're trying to say that children need it. When they don't, they don't need it. So if I pissed you off, I'm sorry. Well, sort of. You know, he's sorry about pissing you off, but he's not really... You know, there are two sides of Joe Rogan. There's a very uh, informed performer type who's able to find his spin around any situation because he's a very, he's a professional. This guy knows he's, this is a Hollywood professional. He's been around the block a lot of times, uh, many times. So, and then you've got the guy who's actually on the radio, who's a bit more of a buffoon and really feeding this machine where it sounds to me like he's pretty supportive of all these things that are just not scientifically proven. Certainly there's a balance between free speech and expression and asking questions and inquiry versus the public interest and the public good. I'm not necessarily a fan of banning people and, you know, deplatforming unless they're Donald Trump and inciting an insurrection against, you know, the federal government. But generally, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate of free speech. Uh, it is interesting what his positions are, the consistency with their incorrectness, you know, how wrong they are. Mm. Um, and the size of his audience and the, you know, the lack of 
what seems like any kind of moderation on what he's saying. Yeah. But again, very that consistent is- with everything that's everyone else is saying. It's not like his one opinion is different on one thing. Like maybe he thinks ivermectin works, but everything else is, he doesn't believe, but he believes every single one of the myth around COVID and he's pushing them. So, you know, your kids don't need to get vaccinated. You can take ivermectin. These are all talking points that come out of, I assume Russia, but I'm not entirely sure if some of our coverage has revealed Russia, but you know, this is stuff that leaks through into the ecosystem from outside and is universal somehow. And that makes me feel like he's plugged into that ecosystem. Yes. And I mean, I understand there are certain people that are vaccine hesitant. There are people that are afraid. There are a lot of people that don't understand medicine. I have friends and family that are afraid of vaccines. They eventually got them. You know, I I don't share those opinions, but there's a lot of people who have these fears or hesitancies. I know there is legislation going on through the Supreme Court about the mandates. And I mean, it is a controversial topic, but Yes, he seems to be consistent in the things that he's advocating that are wrong. Mm -hmm. He seems to be going from a playbook. It seems a consistent set of points that he diverges on. And the people that he's putting on his show, like Brett Weinstein, they just... They just seem extremely problematic generally. Um, Is that Brett Weinstein? Who's that? That guy that the... That's Eric's brother. uh, Eric. Oh, Oh, really? Really? Yeah. That's that makes your you know it makes you scratch your head. So Eric Eric uh, Weinstein was very close to Epstein as well, right? I mean, there was some sort of connection yes. there. Yes, and years. he's the one who advocates that he, you know, he advocates against the activities of Jeffrey Epstein, and seems like he's a supporter of victims, but he's really not advocating for victims for one, and it's not clear what he's arguing for. But the one consistent message that Eric puts out is essentially anti-intelligence community in the United States. Hmm. So, I mean, he has a lot of theories, a lot of ideas surrounding Epstein, but he met with him. He was connected in that circle over an extended period of time. And the one consistent message he has is against the intelligence community. Hmm. Yeah, I've certainly heard him be interviewed on a couple of podcasts and, uh, you know, he never, doesn't really answer. He talks about meeting Epstein, but he doesn't really talk about what they landed up doing. And, I, and as far as I could tell, they had a fairly lengthy a few years of interaction there that we don't really know that much about. Hey, let's, yeah. let's look at some of the chats um, before we get too off topic here. So um, I was in shock when I searched top podcast today on Spotify and it listed Rogan's at the top. I did the same thing. Actually, I went through a bunch of different podcast uh, playlists and, in, you know, he is, he does well on all the podcasts and this in fact probably boosted his popularity. I think he was in the top 10 on iTunes and or uh, the podcast or the Apple podcast. So that's very high for him. He's not normally up there. So yeah, it's probably a boost for him. I find it so interesting yeah. when I look at all those podcast top 10 lists because it's uh, so many of the right wing voices do so well on podcasts. You know, it's kind of interesting how they're the ones that do well, but the left uh, leaning podcasts don't do as well. Oh, I didn't realize those metrics. Yeah. 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 And some of them seem okay. hyper uh, inflated. Like when you look at some of them, it's so this is, this is actually things have improved a little bit, I think, over the last while. Um, but you can see that uh, in this case, it's not that bad. But you've got Bannon's War Room there. You've got uh, Louder with Crowder, which I think is, a, is also a right-wing podcast. Um, the, this, mm-hmm. this is quite new, the Breaking Points with Crystal and Snig, at, uh, Snigger. That's sort of a middle-of-the-road one. But then you've got Pod Save America, which is def- definitely left-leaning. American Radical, which is that MSNBC one about people getting radicalized. So you call that left, but the, the ones that are more talk show-ish and, and refer to this, you know, the current world situation and today's news, those tend to be a lot more right-wing. Those tend to be 
better performing on all these playlists, which is, I mean, maybe it's because, you know, right-wing radio has always done really well when you think about it. It's always had enormous success. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I haven't really researched the metrics that much. I researched them more on the science side and and kind of know those. I wasn't aware of that split. But I mean, it's clear. We've certainly heard about Bannon's podcast. I've certainly heard about Joe Rogan and a lot of these right-leaning ones. Um, They're in the forefront. And so it's nice to see it in data, but yeah. Yeah. It makes me wonder whether they're getting artificially amplified because, you know, in the same way that you can get Google views, if you just go click on Google and you have a bunch of robots clicking on Google, um, on YouTube, you can do the same with podcasts. You can certainly have robots playing back podcasts over and over again around the world using different IPs. It's not very hard to do. So I sometimes wonder whether these things are artificially amplified, especially when you see the numbers that people like Rogan gets, gets so like millions and millions and millions of views and, and listens every day. It just strikes me as being unlikely knowing what I think is the reality of podcasts. Quick, name one thing that you would change right now that interferes with your happiness. Now, what if I told you there's a way to achieve that? BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy platform, making professional therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient. When you join BetterHelp, you'll be assigned your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. Your sessions with your trusted therapist take place in a safe and private online environment. And you don't need to drive anywhere or sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. And no one but you and your therapist, that's it, needs to know about what you're doing. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So if you don't like your counselor, no problem. It's free and easy to switch. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is is also available. Anything you share is confidential. BetterHelp is convenient, professional, and affordable. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash zev. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P, dot com forward slash zev for 10% off your first month. Thank you, BetterHelp. The other thing about Rogan, this is not his first time. So this is, as I'm judging all of this, I'm thinking, okay, maybe he got the vaccine thing wrong. Maybe, you know, he says he's going to be better at it. He's going to research better. He's going to put more oppositional views on the air. But it's not his first time because just a couple of years ago, there was Alex Jones on his show. I mean, mm-hmm. the most discredited person in the entire world talking about what? 9-11 truth. What do you mean? I mean, you're a, you're a, you're a, like a official White House guy now, right? Oh, you can, no. Can you like, you're actually like a news guy, like well, a like 100% legit. Well, sure, I'm, I'm setting up a news bureau and stuff, but that's just part of it. Yeah, but like you're, you're in deep with the Trump administration. Well, I've had Trump on and I talked to him some, but I mean, really. Yeah, he's your buddy. Really, really, it's just that we're covering the resurgence of America, what made the country great. Right? Lower taxes, empowering the people, bringing people together. The opposite of what MSM said. What's happening is mainstream media is literally almost dead. It's collapsing. I mean, look at you. I mean, I remember having dinner with you like six, seven years ago, and you're like, yeah, we got a million downloads a week. Now it's 90 million or whatever it is a month and 20 million on YouTube. And for InfoWars, it's similar numbers. So. I played that clip because of the numbers there. I mean, those numbers are impossible. It doesn't, I don't think they're getting 45 million views a week. I just don't think so. Um, so something is going on in the ecosystem probably where not only are they getting their views amplified possibly, but they're making money off those amplified views because then those views turn into advertising dollars because, yes. you know, the advertisers say, hey, you're getting 45 million views. It seems like a bit of a rigged system or a laundromat of some sort where you can just amplify the views and more money rolls in. 
Yeah. So um, I know that he started out on Justin.tv, which is a Y Combinator startup that actually Tim Draper and Draper Associates was involved with Justin TV at the beginning. And that's where Joe Rogan got his start. And then if you go back and look on the Justin TV early podcast, he had very, very low numbers Mm -hmm. um, in that Justin TV. And then, you know, he grew over time and he was acquired by Spotify Spotify makes some interesting acquisitions. It could be coincidence. That's, I think, one of the hardest things to tease out is what is a coincidence versus what has meaning. Mm. Um, And so I'm just throwing this out there. I don't really know if it has real meaning, but they do have unusual acquisitions. And one of their acquisitions was Adam Bly's Seed Media, which Mm. did have Maxwell on the board. And it came out of the Edge group up in Mm. Silicon Valley. And the idea was, again, art and science. Remember, the Maxwells had an art and science empire of many different things. And Epstein himself funded a lot of art and science Mm. also, including MIT Media Lab. So they had their hands around anything art and science, which is a great nexus for intelligence because you can move between government and corporate and academia. And I don't know exactly why they had such a big empire in that realm, but that's what I'm guessing. Well, the science and, they wanted to steal, right? But the the, oh, the yeah. art the, the art they could just launder money through would be my exactly. yeah. would be my and guess. I mean even um Maxwell's attorney, Leah Safian, she's still trademarking charter schools in Palm Beach area as recently as 2015, 2016, that are hmm. art science charter schools 30 minutes from Mar Lago. I wonder why they're doing that. Um, so, probably, you know, yeah. you're talking about ownership of these companies and their weird decisions. And yeah. that sort of drove me to look at uh, who owns Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the makeup of who owns Spotify is really interesting because it's well known for being a, a, a Swedish company. Um, and so it's owned by a bunch of very hard to pronounce names. And this guy, he's Darren Eck, who's the CEO. And Darren Eck has a large chunk of the money over here at Spotify. Um, we're talking 18.5% for Daniel Eck. And then Martin Lorenzen is 12.1%. And Bailey Gifford is a trust company, an American trust company of interesting origin, but 11.8%. Then comes Tencent. Now, Tencent <laughs> is a Chinese multinational technology and entertainment conglomerate. They are, you know, they're basically like Facebook or, or Google in China. And they have 9.1% of uh, Spotify and they own 10% of Universal Music, I should point out. And Universal Music is, you know, one of the biggest music companies in, um, in America. And then comes all these other sort of big finance houses like Morgan Stanley and uh, T. Rowe Price and a bunch of others who are smaller. Some of these might represent some of the um, other American musical companies. So what these companies actually did is the record companies, when they stopped getting their their royalties in the way that they were getting from radio and people were pirating music, they created Spotify. And they created Spotify to be a way to make money to replace their old rights. And so a lot of these financial companies like T. Rowe and Morgan Stanley are actually representing these record companies in the US who are, who are actually doing good work creating music with these people and they deserve some money, of course. Um, mm-hmm. What does Tencent have to do with all of this? And why is, a, is that the only big multinational conglomerate involved in Spotify? And why does Daniel Eck control all their shares? Because a similar arrangement to what Facebook had with Yuri Milner, they don't get a seat on the board that he controls all the shares, but they just give him a bunch of money and a lot of profit. It makes me feel that's very, very unusual. People don't normally give you a ton of money without wanting a seat on the board. So, you know, is it a give? They say, okay, well, you can control our shares. We just want the money. Or is it actually that Tencent is controlling Daniel Eck? Yes. 
There's some interesting connections and overlaps there also in terms of, you know, Yuri Milner and this Joe Rogan experience. So, okay. Yuri Milner, at the time that he was investing in Facebook, he had this thing called Global Brain out of Hong Kong. And he invited, yeah, around the same time, he invited Ben Gortzel onto the board of Global Brain while he was investing in Facebook. Ben Gorsel is the creator of Sophia the Robot, which to me seems like a sex bot, but it's supposed to be an AI bot that Ben created and Epstein actually funded. And interestingly, both Joe Rogan and Masha Drakova and her PR firm with Anastasia Shvetseva, it's called M&A PR out of Russia, they promoted the robot together. <laughs> they cross-promoted each other, Joe Rogan and the robot and Anastasia and Masha. Are you serious? How did they co- yeah. cross promote it? What did they do to cross promote it? On Twitter. I mean, it wasn't even, I mean, just, oh, really? just, yeah. Oh. I mean, I can share with you the media, but Joe Rogan, you know, tweeting out and her tweeting out back and, you know, amplifying each other. They were clearly connected in this campaign for this yeah. robot. Well, that's really interesting because you've got Alex Jones, you know, is about as connected to the Russian intelligence services as you can be. I keep finding it and getting to share it with everyone, but, you know, he was awarded this uh, human rights award by the SVRs. Uh, and that's the Foreign Intelligence Service, a human rights award for all his you know, work for fighting to have freedom of speech in America. Can you believe it? And he got it one year. He was nominated in, I think, 2018 with Maria Butina of all what? people. So, yeah. so, so I am like, you know, the, you were talking about a really like he's about it. I mean, I'll equate those two and the SVR. They're probably about as close to the SVR as or Alex Jones is probably about as close to the SVR as Maria Butina is. Now, you know, you've got a situation that that way in 2020 then. Here comes Rogan and he brings Jones on the air with him and says to every one of his listeners, this guy's so, he is the White House. He's Mr. News. He's connected. He knows everything. You know, this is not okay for someone who's pretending to know what is going on in the world. I know he says he doesn't do very much research and he's just talking to people, but he clearly knows about Jones's reputation. And instead of saying, hey, you know, this is the guy who's telling people that the school shootings are fake. He's saying instead, here's Donald Trump's friend who's going to tell you exactly what's going on in the White House. Yeah, and he's been friends with Adam Perry Lang for decades. Ad, um, Joe Rogan has. Adam mm. Perry Lang was Epstein's personal chef, including nice. on the island. Oh. And they've been friends for decades. So you have to wonder, like, do these people become successful and then they get you know, involved in such networks or do these networks make them successful? That is probably a really good question. So, you know, going back to the start of the show, when we were talking about who is, you know, if you go to Silicon Valley with your great idea, do you just become successful do you, if you have that great idea? Or do you have that great idea within a network to really succeed? As we saw with Zuckerberg to some extent with these Harvard connections. And we've seen certainly with Musk and PayPal with Teal, all these supposed billionaires. Well, they're billionaires, but they, are, they seem to arrive at these positions of power and money, not just out of talent. They're there because yeah. they are somehow connected to these networks and maybe operating as proxies for them. Yes. It's like an ecosystem that's been grown mm-hmm. and it's not clear if the people, if they're targeted or they're somehow integrated into the ecosystem, but there's definitely an ecosystem that's been built to glom onto people mm-hmm. of great power or who have responsibilities in national security. Yeah, exactly. They're, yeah, for sure. So uh, let's listen to some, uh, some what people saying here on the chats. Matt Fosa does our music on the show amazingly. I have to say, as a pro artist, this Maxwell connection to science and art really is upsetting. It's almost personal. Yeah. Yeah. 
especially what they were doing at the school and uh, yeah. at the at the um, you know the, the school they were hiring people that or buying art from young girls that they would later human traffic. I mean, it's just yeah. just not great. Yeah, and I mean, I have a deep sympathy, you know, empathy for victims of people that they've impacted, and also the people that may be targeted mm. for this activity. I think there are victims on both sides, and clearly the girls and women that have been targeted by that group. It's just unconscionable what happened with them. Mm. But also, it's not right to utilize such a vehicle for whatever nefarious purposes are possible in that kind of scenario. I mean, I just do not think Leah Safian, you know, creating charter schools near Palm Beach with, I might add, with a man who is responsible for 70,000 students in the U.S. And the schools they were creating, they weren't even high schools, they were middle schools. So I find that extraordinarily upsetting. It's something that needs to be looked at immediately. So they have these schools that they're supporting. And I can speak from a place of some knowledge. Like, I don't care if someone sues me. Like, go ahead and sue me. I'll just say it. I was invited to uh, interview in 2019, a couple months before Epstein was arrested, to run Robert Maxwell's art science organization called Leonardo, which is a global organization that connects 60,000 art science people around the world, mostly scientists. And I'm sorry, but, you know, I didn't know at the time that I was invited and like, that's not okay. And, you know, they might take Christine Maxwell and all these people off the board, but until those people admit that something happened that was wrong to those victims, they shouldn't be owning the narrative across the world. Hmm. You know, I've seen the cruelty of the Epstein Maxwell operation is somehow missed by all of us. I mean, it's sort of, you know, and I don't know if it's the news media that just doesn't cover it well, but it's always treated as a sort of a titillating story and a sort of a jet-setting story. And uh, it's not really viewed in the way it should be viewed, which is that it's a incredibly cruel exercise to entrap these girls and then blackmail people, which is what they were doing, blackmailing politicians, which means they were affecting every part of our lives. They were stealing our scientific secrets. They were laundering millions, if not billions of dollars out of the American economy, stolen dollars, Mm -hmm. and laundering other stolen money into the economy and providing a vehicle for these people to rise up in our society that they wouldn't normally rise up in. And they were left to do this unfettered for decades. And and the the impact, mm -hmm. the poison that that has introduced into the American society is unbelievable and still with us, as you point out today, because what you're talking about and all these institutions and schools and all these big billionaires that keep giving away money to as philanthropists, well, yeah, they're giving away money as philanthropists, but where does that money come from? And why are they the ones who are becoming billionaires in our society? Well, how did they get yeah. that opportunity? Because it's not because of their skill set or their talent. No, and um, I might have said this before, but, and again, I preface this by saying that I don't know if this has meaning or not, but it's a very strange coincidence. So I just want to put it out there. That school that got trademarked in the Palm Beach area, mm-hmm. outside of 30 minutes from Mar-a-Lago, the man who is the head of the school, and again, it's a middle school, mm-hmm. he has no experience in education. He is a model scout photographer, mm-hmm. actress, an actor model scout, who discovered Amber Heard when she mm-hmm. was a young teenager. Mm-hmm. Well, that tells you a lot right there. Yes. So this is a school in Mar-a-Lago, near Mar-a-Lago? Yeah. He didn't discover Amber Heard there. He discovered yeah. Amber Heard. Um, I think she came out of Texas. I'm not yeah. sure how that story happened, but it's on the internet. It's publicly available information. I mean, he still has videos up and photos and all this. She looks like a child. She looks, you know, she's blonde, blue eyed. She looks just like 
you can make the you know mm. correlation there. And he discovered her, and he has these connections, you know, in Warner Brothers and Disney and all these places. And you know, we know Leah Safian's relative is the head of content partnerships at Warner. It's just very strange and. You know, and, he just has no experience. He has no business running a middle school. And they don't get, <laughs> you know, how do they get there? To me, is the question is just say, like, you know, these these people just get elevated because they know these people or they know mm-hmm. or their family members or something. But it's never, it's not an equal playing field in America if we continue to allow it, especially because we're allowing the seediest parts of America's economy to be the grounding on which we elevate people. I mean, yes. there's no hope in that. Chopin's heart is saying sex trafficking for junior high school has been going on for decades in schools around the country. Public hidden knowledge, shame keeps it quiet. Absolutely. Shame does keep yeah. it quiet. Uh, and also the media keeps it quiet, by the way, because that I find kind of, you know, there aren't a lot of investigations. I mean, there's certainly there's the annual, uh, you know, where is Bobby Lee or whatever, whichever girl is missing that. But there isn't really a deep investigation into the trade itself. Like, where is, yeah. where are these girls? Where are they going? What is happening to them? And, you know, are they even alive? We don't see any of that. We see the, you know, the one abducted girl, you know, but that's different. It's very, very different from these situations, which is multi-billion dollar human trafficking schemes around the world. Yes. And why, I mean, this particular situation is one that garners a lot of attention and rightly so because of the people involved and the impact of it. Right. But it Mm. certainly is something that happens all over the place. And one has to wonder why was Jeffrey Epstein an advocate for private charter schools Mm. around the country? Why was he trying to glom on to Michael Bloomberg to advocate together for charter schools around the country while Mm. Maxwell's attorney was trademarking schools with people who had no experience in business and running them? Like, what were they doing? Were they recruiting around our country for an intelligence operation? They're all sci- art science charter schools. Hmm. It's very strange. Very, very strange. Also, they can control what's being taught. You know, we're seeing in, in Florida now this new legislation where you can't talk about, you know, you can't teach kids about LGBTQ issues at, at a young age. I mean, it's sort of this, what's happening to our, the light we have in our society is it's being diminished. We're being darkened year by year through these forces that are coming not necessarily from inside the country. You know, there's this darkening feeling about our knowledge and our what we want to share with our kids and, and what we're hiding, the secrets, the shames of, of America. There just seems to be a lot more being pushed into the dark all the time. Yeah, and the, I you know have different feelings about that, but I actually feel very hopeful because it's these things are coming to light and it feels very dark and it's perceived as very dark for probably people right now, but the reality is these networks have existed for decades mm-hmm. since the 90s. And I feel that this is a time of light and hope because we see them. That is true. We are able to see them now. I don't know if they're going away. That's something which I struggle with. And I look at something like Spotify, just to bring it back to Spotify. It's okay. So now China has a 10% hold over Spotify. And maybe Mr. Eck is really speaking on their behalf. Maybe 30% of Spotify. So now maybe does China actually have a way of manipulating what we think about vaccines by matching our interests, which their algorithm is able to elegantly find music for us for, but maybe it's also able to match people's interests in vaccines or COVID with Joe Rogan's vaccine myths show. And suddenly they're able to convince more and more Americans through Spotify that vaccines are dangerous. And that is in the national interest of China. So now, and with America not being able to control any of that, that to me is where I think it gets very, very scary around uh, these multinational conglomerates having these nation states that have such connections to these mob networks. 
Yeah. And mob networks is such an important word because mm. they're nation states, but money is getting funneled mm. through these vehicles. And, right. you know, you're obviously a, an independent, but some of these podcasters, you just wonder, like, where are they coming from mm. and what states are they aligned with? Like Masha's friend, Harry Stebbings, mm. he's a 24 year old podcaster out of the UK, a podcaster. Mm. And he just got over the summer, $140 million from mm. MIT to invest. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I didn't get $140 million this year. You know, and I no. actually got to say that I find all these networks and, and, you know, one of the reasons I fight so hard to stay independent and why I'm actually uh, going to be completely independent going forward is the, you know, these networks take money to fund and to grow. And even on the left side of the political scale, we're not really sure who's funding the ownership of a lot of these podcasts and then how they amplify them and then what control they have of their editorial. So on both the right wing and the left wing, you know, podcasts have been a great sanctuary for supposedly independent voices, but more and more we were seeing them being eaten up by big conglomerates, these multi-million dollar deals from Spotify and ever. They're taking those entities on board and maybe through algorithm or otherwise suggesting to their talent, um, you know, be a little bit more like this, be a little bit more anti-vaxxer because then more people will tune in. Yeah. And also preface this statement by saying, I haven't really done a lot of research on Jack Dorsey and Twitter. So this is not a totally educated statement, but there is one thing that I appreciate about him before, you know, during this election cycle is that he pledged not to accept funds for political ads, which mm -hmm. Facebook did not do. And a key thing about what you're saying, and I think this goes back to even the beginning of this episode that where we were discussing, you know, just how the far right misinformation part is ascending. Mm -hmm. In the time of, I think it was World War II, is when we got the payola laws for broadcast. And that right. at that time was radio right. broadcast. Right. And it was required to disclose who was funding ads. And with the advent of the internet, um, which has been in the 90s, which coincides with the fall of the Soviet Union, we have not had that for mm -hmm. the internet. Good these, point. Yeah, so these presidential campaigns for either side are going on without any oversight there comparable to what TV and radio have experienced. Not, not even um, no oversight. They're being beamed in from other countries. So yes. we have no way of stopping Spotify from doing what it's doing, except, you know, getting Neil Young to throw a boycott. Yeah. So this I, is I disagree with Jack Dorsey on a lot of things, yeah, and I don't but, know his story, but I do appreciate that he came out and said, like, we're not going to take paid political, political ads. In but a you know what? Where, still won't verify yeah. me. So um, <laughs> Twitter still won't verify oh, he won't. Me for whatever reason. I don't know if, you yeah. know, Twitter, I don't know why. Why verify all these other people, but not yeah. verify any independent journalists from the left? I don't get yeah. it. Um, I don't get that. There's weird stuff, clearly, but that's yeah. only one. It's just the one thing that I appreciate is that he recognized like that problem with that we don't have anti payola laws mm -hmm. or we don't have payola laws to disclose. Right. And right. I, that is something that the internet, in my opinion, needs. I will say that's true. And I will say as well that we need to be far more conscious as a country of the media, because that is how it's all happening. The indoctrination of Americans is happening through the media. And that's whether it's social media or traditional media, whether it's Fox News or Facebook, or even now Spotify, I would say we need to look at Spotify really carefully as a means of getting propaganda into American minds. This is how it's spread. This is how Americans get into a situation where January the 6th, you know, was not a coup and how Donald Trump could be the next president. And we are back here in that same spot as we're heading into the next election and into the next presidential election. And it's because nothing's been done about the means of access to American minds. There is nothing's changed except from OANs of uh, DirecTV. The same players are out there doing the same thing 
still, and they're going to continue to do it and achieve the same goals that they've achieved before. Yeah. And you know, the benefit of not accepting settlements when you have problems is that you can say whatever you want, whenever you want. So I'm going to make another comment about Tim Draper at this moment, which is that, you know, the guy who is investing in Justin TV, which is the vehicle that Joe Rogan first platformed on, he wants to break up California into six states. He wants Mm. to break up other states. He was aligned with Steve Bannon on deconstructing the administrative state. Breaking up California is very much part of a Russian playbook. Like, Mm. I don't know the answer, Tim, but you know, why don't you inform us what's going on here? (laughs) So tell everyone just again, who Tim Draper was. So he's he's an investment firm, really, is what you're saying? um, His father is kind of like the founder of Silicon Valley. Bill Draper is his father. Um, He's thought of as the founder of Sand Hill Road and, and Silicon Valley. Um, Tim Draper founded with John Fisher and Steve Jurvetson, Draper Fisher Jurvetson, which is was a large venture capital firm that invested in many things, many unicorns, including SpaceX and Tesla. Hmm, okay. And That's interesting. Tim Draper is like one of the earliest and biggest advocates of Bitcoin in the Silk Road. <laughs> Ah, interesting. Yeah. That really is interesting. Um, I should say, just to, me, to give the guys at Spotify some a moment here, they did issue a statement, you know, which is a new policy. They hadn't had this before. I mean, this is a big step forward for them. They put out their first platform rules. They haven't had these before. This is really helpful for people to understand what they can do inside and outside of Spotify's publishers. And I didn't really think the COVID-19 advisory is very helpful because they're not telling people whether what they're reading is true or not. They're just saying, hey, there's a conversation about COVID-19 going on. That's not very helpful. I mean, we, sort no. of, we, know, we know it's COVID-19 we're, we're watching or listening to. So, you know, it would be better if they could actually tell us what's real or not, what's true or not. But the last part I, I thought is quite good that they are intending to ha- create better awareness around what's acceptable and help creators understand their accountability. And that is, you know, very, very important because in fact, I as a creator have no idea uh, from Spotify what it is that I can and can't put on their platform. So maybe in the next few months, we'll see an improvement there and hopefully that'll help, you know, and hopefully Joe Rogan will settle down. Although now that COVID-19 is done, we'll have to wait until the next conspiracy theory to figure out if (laughs) if he's really to be trusted, right? But you never know. So you you said you were hopeful, which I love hearing because it's always good to be hopeful. Are you hopeful that we are going to be able to make enough changes to the ecosystem, the media and technology ecosystem in time by the time we get to like the next election? Um, I, I don't know about the time factor. I believe so. Um, someone alerted me to the work of Sheldon Whitehouse from mm. Rhode Island, and mm. he is introducing basically like dark money acts to help both uncover the dark money that's going through the Supreme Court, as well as, um, I believe, investment. So I'm hopeful that those kind of measures will be in place by the next election and ongoing so that these things can be evaluated real time and addressed. All right. Carrie, it's been great having you on the show. I know this was a bit of a last minute thing, so I really appreciate your time for being here tonight and great insights. You know, it's, I find Silicon Valley as being one of these great mysteries. It's, it was so uh, locked up from the rest of us looking in that no one really knows what went on there. It was sort of this glamorous world of these geniuses that just pops up these brilliant ideas out of nowhere and that, you know, you didn't really get to see inside what was going on there. And I think you're providing some insight into how important the networking piece of it and how, uh, how much foreign money 
And it's not just Russian money, it's foreign money from all sorts of countries who are slushing around Silicon Valley, making these enterprises successes. And we see that still today because they still own big stakes in these companies. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. And I um, I used to th think the same way and, and kind of idolize different people. And then you realize like there's a lot of blackmail going on. So, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Not all well, that. Just when you think about how Zuckerberg, uh, you know, stole the idea of Facebook, if that's indeed what happened, uh, you know, that's not a very, very noble way uh, of getting to the top, although uh, he certainly did get to the top. Um, yeah. Well, that's the show for tonight, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. We'll be back tomorrow night. I'm not sure quite yet. People are saying online that you're great. She is indeed. And we thank Carrie Cooperall for being here tonight. Uh, where can they find you on Twitter to give, give everyone your Twitter handle? Um, it's just my first and last name on Twitter, Carrie Cooperall. So. Okay, Carrie Cooperall. Yeah. Thanks very much okay. for being here tonight. I'm not sure what's on the show tomorrow, folks, but we'll be here at 7 o'clock. And, uh, and then don't forget the after show on Friday. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.